This is Shannon in Durham. Chip in Durham. And Erica in Edmonton. And you are listening to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, Episode 99, Phoenix Rising. Okay, based on what you guys were saying before we started recording, do you want to just get it out of your systems now? (laughs) Byron dead? Uh, That's not the word you used. (laughs) Byron flambe? (laughs) Yeah, that was the word you used. I would say that's so cold, but it's actually the opposite of that. (sighs) And we'll all come together in a hotter place. Okay, now that's cold. Ah, goodness. Okay, yes. Uh, welcome, everybody, to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, where apparently some people just can't resist making very bad puns about what are supposed to be tragic, horrific situations. Uh, but anyway, uh, so where there's death and despair on Babylon 5, we usually have a special guest, and he is back with us again. We have Jason Snell, host of the Incomparable Network and editor-in-chief of Six Colors and longtime Babylon 5 fan. Hi, Jason. Hi there. Did anybody die in this episode? Oh, yeah, a lot of people did. So I'm back. It's so great to be here in this episode number 100. Spe- Wait a second, 99? You invited me for number 99? Ah, that's fair. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> uh, them's the breaks. <laughs> 100 is nothing more than a number, especially when you're like midway through the fifth season. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, uh, th- this episode brings an end to a specific character who was introduced this season, uh, which is uh, the telepath Byron, the renegade telepath leading his people and trying his best to, through nonviolent means, land a homeworld for his people so that they can live away from the Psy And that is pretty much what this entire episode is about. There's not like a a B-plot or anything like Mm -hmm. that going on. Everything is sort of wrapped around this particular stage of the game. Any thoughts, other thoughts or comments slightly more in taste before uh, before we get into it? <laughs> oh, well, I'm well, feeling since judged you that here. Caveat, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm feeling judged. You know, I think, uh, you know, my memory of season five of Babylon 5 is all about Byron and not liking him and not really liking the telepath plot. And as you have all been learning as you've been walking through this season, as because I'm a faithful listener to this podcast, um, it's only really the first part like as as everybody we're in not in spoiler space we don't need to be because we know now this is kind of the end of this story from, yeah, it's pretty much. Like this this is the climax and um so there's more season to go right and i had kind of forgotten that and um in hindsight as a an adult as a non-grumpy living you know week to week watching it unfold a tv viewer from the 90s I I look at it and I think I know what JMS is doing here. I understand it. And like, I I feel like if we had seen this movement rise during season four, Mm -hmm. amid the strife of the shadow war and the civil war, and we saw Byron kind of rise as a civil rights kind of figure and do civil disobedience and really try to make a stand for telepath rights and have it kind of all come over a long period of time, kind of come unhinged, like you might see either with more time or in a modern TV show. I feel like this is like the the raw material here is really good. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. it all gets jammed in a very small number of episodes where there's a whole lot of shorthand and exposition and I and none of it is to the benefit of the story. So that's in the end I'm I I still don't like this story arc, but I like what it's trying to do. It's just like it's the wrong length and it's 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 shoehorned in here so that everything has to happen really rapidly and i don't think it's the fault of of robin Atkin downs I, I, you know i think i think he's doing his best um mm-hmm. i think maybe it's a misstep that 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 joe Straczynski on purpose sort of made him very much like marcus because mm-hmm. It is a little bit weird to have yet another kind of long-haired British man who's charismatic <laughs> and all of that going on. I don't know. Like, I, I, I can't hate it as much as I did back when it aired because I, I like the idea. It's a good idea. I just don't think it's executed very well. 
Yeah, I, I I agree with pretty much everything you said, Jason. I think that there was a potential for a really good political meaty storyline centered around civil rights in a different setting. And like you said, it, it needed more time and a little more space to get it all in. You know, I feel ultimately kinder toward it than the two of you. And I still see all the flaws. But I kept waiting during this rewatch. I kept waiting for that moment when I was like, "Ah, this is why I hated Byron. This is why I hated the telepath colony plot. And I think maybe Strange Relations was the one episode where I hit my, the exposition's too much, Robin Atkin Downs is not really selling it here moment. But other than that... I've been surprised how much I appreciated it. I think uh, 20 years later, I've seen enough politics, uh, the telepaths and the, the the politics of grievance and reparation and things like that. It turns out to work for me a lot better than it did before because I see a lot more parallels uh, more clearly. So I was joking when we uh, started recording here, but I'm actually I'm actually not one of the ones celebrating the end of Byron and the end of uh, Byron's arc here. I I thought it was a fairly good story told mostly competently. (laughs) Voice of dissent? High high praise indeed. (laughs) That's a ringing endorsement, Jim. (laughs) No, I see what you're saying. I mean, I I think... I, I think the root of my dislike of this is, I mean, we mentioned, you know, like singing and all of that. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like maybe he comes across throughout this season as a little bit too much hippie cult leader and a little mm-hmm. bit not enough Martin Luther King, if that makes any sense. Like, I felt like, and, and some of that is the way it's played and the, and the way the actor looks where he's kind of, he's got the, the long hair. He's kind of like this Fabio-esque character, right? <laughs> And I don't know. It's like because because he is also really a civil rights leader. And that part, when I get behind that, I'm like, yes. But then I look at the execution and I do think, yeah, but there are times when they're singing and he's, you know, taking taking his lover as the all the telepaths kind of join together and all that where I'm like, or this is or he's Charles Manson, you know, like that's (laughs) I think that's the problem I had with it. And maybe that was something that uh, JMS was doing intentionally. But I I think that's where it goes awry for me is like I I do. I do think there's a lot of good here. I don't I don't think it maybe deserves all the scorn that that it's gotten over time. There's a lot here that is really worth um, appreciating. But, you know, that's that's how it why it's kind of tainted for me. I wonder if Byron had been a Martin Luther King type figure, if the story would have ended in a different place, because Martin Luther King was competent. And would not have just set himself on fire at the end? Yeah, probably not. There is that. That is part of what I, watching the again this time, noticed. It's And it's not just on Byron's side. I mean, people are making, constantly making mistakes throughout this entire storyline. Uh, whether it's, you know, Sheridan, you know, z- you know, saying I've got to open negotiations. And the first thing he does is yell at Byron, um, you know, not locking the door so that Bester can't just walk <laughs> that, in and destroy that's everything. The one. That's you know, the things one. like that, you know, that people are screwing up constantly. And I found it more realistic, I guess, you know, in, in a way, because people make mistakes all the time um, in all kinds of situations uh, that, you know, have stakes like this one. Uh but you know, yeah. Still, I, I, I still feel like if JMS had had more room to give this story, that it it might not have developed the reputation it got. Um, Erica, you haven't had a chance to say anything. Did you have stuff to say? You know, I think I just found it overall really uneven because you know, mm-hmm. watching it again this time, there was there were definitely moments where I felt like I really. I don't want to say sided with Byron because I, I always kind of sided with him in terms of, of what he was trying to achieve. But I think there were there were moments where I actually appreciated him as a character and thought that the you know the the, the performance was really good. And then that those moments would be immediately followed or preceded by something that just made me roll my eyes or go ew or something like that. And this this episode had another example of that. I actually found myself like his his goodbye before before he you know shoots the PPG and explodes. I I found that 
like a really touching scene and I genuinely got a little bit weepy. And then it kept going. Right. And going and going. So I just felt like like yeah, the 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 show leaned into his um I don't know, it, it want to be messiah-ish like thing a little too much at times and it just yeah it 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 would it would have me and then it would lose me and then it would have me and then it would lose me and that just sort of happened all the way through so i do i i i really agree with what you said jason that if they had been able to seed this earlier on if there had been room for it or you know if they knew that they were going to get the fifth season yeah if he would have been in the background and i would have been able to sort of build up some some thoughts and feelings about him as a character beforehand maybe they wouldn't have needed to try so hard to make it seem like such a a great big deal and it wouldn't have it wouldn't have felt so ridiculously uneven well there's one other piece to this puzzle that we've been talking about in spoiler space that we can talk about Mm -hmm. now because spoiler alert folks byron's not coming back yeah. <laughs> except except as a force ghost in the finale um <laughs> or an ash zombie okay uh but um i think another issue here was that uh at the very last minute claudia christian decides that she's not going to be part of the fifth season claudia not only would have been playing the captain of the space station but it would have been she and not lita Mm-hmm. who became somewhat romantically involved with Byron which is seeing, why seeing which is why Byron resembles Marcus right uh, mm-hmm. so Claudia Christian's departure not only means that JMS has to spend time developing Elizabeth Lockley's character and and then that that is a distraction but it also means that uh the the character relationships just sort of have to work themselves out uh, uh, in in weird ways. Um, Ivanova would have met Byron earlier. Um, Lita would have been more peripherally involved in uh, the, the telepath group, you know, everything works out differently. And I, I, it's amazing to me that uh, JMS got as much as he did six successful in this, story arc yeah there are a few moments when i mentioned um how sometimes it just kind of falls apart in exposition because i think there was not enough time and that's that's right it's not just enough time in terms of episodes but in time for this plot because if you don't have lockley involved in this plot you have to make more time for lockley which they had to do so you end up with scenes there are i gotta say there i think this episode is really interesting because there there is one of the most memorable scenes in any episode of Babylon five for my fun money in this, which is Garibaldi with Bester. Um, Mm -hmm. There are also some scenes that I, I have to say are probably among my least favorite slash the worst in Babylon (laughs) five. So the, the soap opera level stuff, like um, back to back, you get uh, Lockley and Sheridan talking and Bester just sauntering on in to high level <laughs> negotiations with the president of the Alliance and the captain of Babylon five. It's like like the president of the United States having a, a phone call with the uh, the uh, leader of Saudi Arabia and the Israeli ambassador just wanders in and starts insulting him. I mean, it's like that that is that <laughs> is kind of ridiculous. And, and the dialogue, they've got so much exposition. And then that's cut back to Byron and Lita and their dialogue is really kind of painfully like, let me tell you everything that is going on in shorthand. And mm-hmm. I, it did. I, I mean, I grant you some of it was breaking the spell, but it did. It, it re- actually reminded me of back when I was a, a seventh grader and I watched soap operas because it was that kind of like, we're just going to we, we don't have time to do actually like show you this. We're just going to tell it all to you in dialogue right now. And I think that all goes back to the fact that. This he's got other stories to tell. He's got to get the story done, and there are just going to be corners that have to be cut. And it's mm-hmm. too bad because it doesn't. I I don't feel like most of Babylon Five feels like this, but in those moments it does. And then of course, not too long later, we do get that great scene with Garibaldi and uh, and Bester. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's it. Yep. Let's do a quick recap, and then we will get back into uh, pulling this particular episode apart, as well as more commentary on um, how this arc has unfolded over the first half of the season. 
So for grins, if uh, you've actually just tuned in to us for the first time for 99, getting ready for 100, uh, <laughs> what you need to know. The existence of telepaths among the human race has been an issue for centuries, resulting in the development of the Psychor. Telepaths who don't want to live by their draconian rules have long tried to run, including to the far reaches of space. The leader of one group of refugees, Byron, had succeeded in negotiating a safe place for his group on Babylon 5 through the Interstellar Alliance president, Sheridan, but overreacted upon learning that telepaths were created by the powerful Vorlons to be weapons in the Shadow War. Psychop Bester arrived on the station, leading elite telepath forces to capture the refugees, and some of them broke away from Byron and his tactics of nonviolence. Bester is also responsible for telepathically manipulating Garibaldi to use as an unknowing sleeper agent to capture Sheridan during the Earth Civil War. Which leads us to this episode. Lockley and Sheridan try to pursue a peaceful resolution to the crisis with the refugees. We learn that Bester has a very personal stake in capturing Byron. When the breakaway faction takes hostages, Lita leads Byron to them and to try and stop further violence. Lockley and Sheridan negotiate terms that will allow the innocent telepaths to leave while those guilty of killing surrender. Bester interferes, and Byron kills himself and the extremist followers instead of letting themselves be taken by the Psychor. Lita steps in to help the remaining telepaths get to safety. Garibaldi tried to force Bester into a confession of what he had done, but Bester had inserted telepathic orders that prevent Garibaldi from harming him. This knowledge drives Garibaldi, a former alcoholic, into taking his first drink in nearly four years. And that is Phoenix Rising. So Phoenix, of course, you know, the legend of the Phoenix of, you know, burning itself only to rise again and rebirth itself. Do we see a rebirth of the telepath cause yet <laughs> in this episode? Well, I think we do. I think that's exactly what mm -hmm. we're left for or left with uh, as Lita is saying goodbye to each person. You know, she is telepathically giving them information about uh, a person that they will meet that will lead them to safety. Mm -hmm. And, you know, saying, remember Byron, remember Byron, remember mm -hmm. Byron, she's, remember she's Byron. She's also got saying remember that she's Byron. got secrets, <laughs> including uh, Bester would not like. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's also that little bit at the end uh, where you hear Garibaldi listening to the news and they mentioned that this violence that's on Babylon 5 has spread back to Earth because uh, the Psychor headquarters got mm -hmm. bombed and somebody put Remember Byron somewhere where it could be found. Mm hmm. Yep. And Lita's last lines before she starts giving that information is just saying, you know, now we're going to, you know, we continue, we come back stronger, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. So yeah. good for them. I mean, mm -hmm. Byron's not going to, but. Yeah. No, it's but more of a metaphorical him. rising for yeah. Byron. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, speaking of Byron for a minute, we finally get his his more or less his full backstory. You know, we we knew that he had once been part of the core, I think. We did not know that he was a P12 and therefore was a psychop, and we learn that information now and we learn what made him break away. Is that enough to sort of um support how he arrived at his current views or um, the path that he is taking? Yes. However, I mean, I, I think that it is, you know, being driven to the point where you take the lives of hundreds of, of innocent people and then, you know, emotionally pay for that. I, I feel like that that makes perfect sense. The part that didn't quite sit as well for me and that maybe, again, they just didn't have time to develop this fully was that Bester is it's like it is so personal. For mm -hmm. Bester, and I mean, I, they again. It's they told, not showed. They they explain that that uh, Byron was Bester's protege, and he was grooming him to become, you know, just like him. But it having only that one scene with the two of them working mm -hmm. together, it just it it has never really sat quite right that that Bester is just so personally invested and in, uh, in it when it comes to to Byron in in terms of of how. The way that he talks to him and the way that he talks about him and how angry he is about it and how he keeps like if he was if he was saying I, that he wanted to, you know, take all of the Psychor folks in the, the Black Omega troops at the end there just just to capture all of these telepaths because he thinks that they deserve them or he should have them. That I think that would have actually felt more natural to me than just being like, no, no, no we have to get Byron like he's the one we must get mm -hmm. him and we have to take him alive. 
Yeah. I mean, we had hints of this uh, a few episodes ago when uh, Byron first tried to arrest all the telepaths and take them and Lockley found a way to keep them on the station because you had the body language of Byron, like of Bester hovering over Byron. Um, Caressing his shoulder. Yeah. That making, was so creepy. And and mm-hmm. that this explains a lot of that behavior, too. So I think there there mm-hmm. was some preliminary show for the dynamic without giving us all of the information. As we've mentioned before, that this entire story arc has been kind of the, a comedy of errors. Just, you know, like every single time you think they finally got themselves on the right path, somebody makes the wrong decision or somebody reacts in a way that just sort of, you know, blows it all up again. I kept finding it frustrating. For characters that in general have shown themselves to, to be competent, you know, as, as we pointed out, Sheridan is a very good military leader. He's not so good at politics, and we keep seeing this. And now he's dealing. I don't know. I I really don't think he has been as bad as I was expecting him to be, mm-hmm. um, because he. I, I feel like he does the best that he can, and I mean, at this point, he's not actually in charge. It right. is it is Lockley who has to has to take charge. And I think I mean in the sequence when when Bester does just swan in while they're talking to him, like they I I believe just before Byron pops up on the screen, uh Lockley says that, you know, Bester's on his way or something. So like mm-hmm. they knew he was coming. It just but so yeah, that was a it was a weird choice to have him have Bester come in at that point, but it did give me my favorite Sheridan line of the entire episode, which is as soon as Byron, you know, turns off the screen, Sheridan just turns to Garibaldi or not to Garibaldi to to Bester and just says, "Thanks for the help." And like the way that he says "help" <laughs> yeah. is so perfectly sarcastic. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the problem, though, um, because Sheridan is clearly struggling with this situation, as well as Lockley and others, is JMS takes this opportunity to show just how far extremism goes. Um, It really resonated with me um, how both Bester and then the um, telepath that was sort of leading the um, violent faction both wind up saying they're just mundanes. And it's like, okay, wait a minute, you guys are supposed to be on opposite sides of this issue, and yet you are both looking at the greater population in the same way. Uh, that that kind of chilled me a bit. Sheridan and Bester had that conversation towards, there were a couple of conversations, Sheridan and Bester, and then Lita and uh, Stephen, where there are conversations about, we know that there's a telepath war coming. And when you're hearing those lines in season four, it sounds like it's a war between telepaths and mundanes. As of Phoenix Rising, it doesn't sound that clear cut anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a moment where in the aftermath and that coda it's in the last four minutes of the episode where Bester is at his low point that we've seen him. And I, I choose to believe, you know, that this is not Bester putting on an act, that this is really Bester. And mm-hmm. for all the, his flaws as a, as a, as a person, um, and that his actions don't necessarily follow what his claimed feelings are in this moment. I do believe it's sort of a genuine response to him, which is, which is his worldview, which is this is not supposed to happen. We're on the same side. Like mm-hmm. Bester views all telepaths as being on the same side, even when he sends shock troops to arrest them. Like it's still mm-hmm. like we are all still on the same side. And after it all goes horribly wrong, Bester still doesn't understand. Like for right. Bester, there is there are two sides and it's mundanes and telepaths which is why the actions that have just happened in front of him he just can't even process it he doesn't know why this happened the way it did go back to mind war all the way back to season one and jason ironheart's uh exposition that the psychor is all about control even control over matter um that is the only thing that bester believes can save telepaths from mundanes Mm -hmm. is that is to keep iron control over their own people for their own protection and sometimes you have to crack down on your own people to protect the the greater good and he just assumes that ultimately with enough re-education and probably drugs and torture that they'll come around and understand that yeah, you know, talking about the 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 other, the violent telepaths, that was another bit that 
just it seemed a little bit out of the blue in terms of the speed with which they became just just two-dimensional thugs. I mean, I, I can understand, yeah, Byron uh, saying, I, I didn't I teach them well enough? Haven't I, haven't I done a good enough job? And in my head, I'm going, no, no, you didn't. Clearly, <laughs> clearly you didn't. <laughs> um, but... But it's it's one thing to to try to escape and and try to fight for your life. But they, I mean, really quickly just just become raging buttholes. I mean, they're not just they're not just using violence as a, a as a means to defend themselves. They they very they much literally seem... crucified a dude. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there's that too. But also the 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 scene in the med lab where like that one guy is just he's clearly just itching for a fight and they're the way that they are are talking to people and yes, yes, they are mundanes, just mundanes, but they're, it's like they have no empathy whatsoever. And, and I, I felt like that wasn't, I don't know, that, that shift wasn't established well enough, you know, in part because there probably wasn't enough time. But it just it seemed like suddenly these are completely different people. And maybe if there had been more uh, sort of more back and forth and pushback in the Byron sequences before, rather than having every single telepath just be absolutely silent um, for you know most of the sequences, yeah. Like if we had if we if we had some dialogue between telepaths before, maybe it wouldn't seem so weird and out of the blue. But because because nobody has spoken, suddenly when they do, it's just like oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, for me, I think what they were trying to do in a couple of instances, uh, mainly with the um, the African American telepath in the last confrontation where Bester shows up, and even though Lockley and Sheridan are both clearly trying to get him out, he panics and freaks, and then the firefight mm-hmm. erupts. I think that they were also trying to show that these people were number one, no, they don't know how to engage in any kind of conflict. You know, Byron has been the spokesperson for them all along. These people don't know how to negotiate. These people don't know what they're doing. They're just trying to come up with possibilities and they're acting out of fear, out of terror. And I think that's what's driving a lot of it. I think that's part of what JMS was trying to convey. Yeah, yeah think- this episode, though, needed a surer hand at the director's helm um, oh, yeah. to really pull that off. Yeah. There are so many points that drag, especially, you know, Byron's final farewell stuff. Right. You know, it's like, <laughs> how can we miss you if you down? never go away, Byron? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, it's like a, f- a switch is literally flipped and we go from uh, drama to stage, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's kind of painful. But the action sequences, once again, the telepaths are just generic thugs carrying PPGs with great and hair. Not even and using their telepathy. There's like which, well, no instance showing that they're using what they have to do anything other than communicate with one another. Right. Well, Peter Peter does the telekinesis thing right. un- unconvincingly because oh, again, oh, direction. Why move your head? Throw, yeah, what, whipping his head around and then throwing uh, and then small amounts him. of light garbage at the, <laughs> at the shock yes. troopers who are like, no, yes. we must retreat. There's a paper is blowing at me. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we talked about previously how these telepaths are not they are not strong enough to actually be able to really do much of of anything mm-hmm. when it when they have uh, bloodhounds on the station. I feel like I feel like any any kind of telepathic stuff that they would be doing at, at any kind of a distance would just be totally jammed. True enough, but I still would like to have seen, seen some creative directing to uh, indicate that these are not like trained soldiers or anything like that. That they were mm-hmm. that they were doing other things, you know, taking advantage of being able to mentally communicate and things like that. In the end, they are extras like any other extras that we've ever seen on Babylon Five, and I don't think that that serves the the story arc well at all. Yeah. One of the things that Stephen actually said when the episode was over, he just said very, very plaintively, I wish that episode was better directed and edited. Uh-huh. He said mm-hmm. it was just it was a real mess at some por- parts. And he also specifically called out that last scene with Byron. He just he, actually what he said was, I think that last scene with Byron would have been better if Mr. Vehar had been there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he was. Yeah. He was very much missing that. And he also pointed out an editing issue at the beginning um, in it, just in the cold open. 
there's this weird edit where you have the, the close-up on Bester, oh, and, and he's, he's giving us his info dump, mm-hmm. and then it cuts to a wide shot, and his mouth on the wide shot is saying, again, the last line that we saw on the close-up, but the voiceover yeah. is a totally different line. Yep. His lips yeah. do not match at all. Yeah. That yeah, they was just weird. Didn't have coverage, mm-hmm. and they and, and they wanted to. Cu- I, I I had that same thought, which is like, whoa! Suddenly, mouth not matching, and then it cuts away. But mm-hmm. it's 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 a pretty startling moment. And I I think when I complain about soap opera stuff, it's uh, that's that is what I'm also implying there is that some of that stuff mm-hmm. feels flat, and the performances feel perfunctory. And but you know, again, they took them one day fewer than the rest of the show to shoot season five like per episode mm-hmm. so i get it mm-hmm. i get why totally it might be like this why you might have to cut corners like that but it, it's it's uh it's too bad and that last yes i mean i think i would have preferred byron to be forced to make a decision to take his own life instead of others or or not make the decision and be turned into a martyr in some way rather mm-hmm. than what it is but it does i mean it's a very jms thing to say no 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 Spot, can we get a spotlight down here? He needs to give his speech now. And so we get that, but <laughs> it's so stagey and it goes on so long that, um, and, the, and the thing with Lita where he's like, now, honey, I told you <laughs> there would be come a time when you got to walk away and now's that time. Oh, say it ain't so, Byron. And I'm like, come <laughs> on. Like, I love See, Lita as a character. <laughs> and in that moment, I'm like, really? Really? This is how the, they're going to go out? It's very frustrating. I would have been okay with the, you know, this is the moment that I, I told you you needed to walk away. If she would have just like, you know, squeezed his hand and walked away and that would have been it. I'd have been all right with that. Yeah, like, stone that, cold. That like, all right, great. here we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> One other thing about this uh, specific part of the telepath plot, we get our full context of the scene from the deconstruction of falling stars. Um, so now we have full context on uh, what the historians were talking about when they talked about uh, Sheridan making mistakes with the telepaths. And I don't know if like for Stephen or, you know, uh, people who are watching for the first time, whether having that context now, if they even thought about looking back and thinking if that helped or. Uh, Stephen did recognize, uh, actually, we were getting close to the moment where that that sequence was going to start. And Stephen was like, oh, yeah, he's like, we're getting close to that that scene that we saw before, aren't we? I was like, yep, this is this is it. It's Mm -hmm. about to happen. And he's like, I don't even remember what episode that was from. And I was like, (laughs) the one you hate. And I said, the one you hated. He's like, oh, right. That's right. But he still didn't really remember the context of it. And Mm -hmm. I and when when this was over, I had to go back and explain it, like remind him that it was during the the bit with the academics and Mm -hmm. and them, you know, rehashing Sheridan's life and, and all of that stuff. Stephen was wondering if this was exactly the same sequence or if they reshot it for this episode oh it was most certainly the same sequence because it looked so. so different Stephen first directed deconstruction and mm. um the the lighting looks different and it it looks a little more late peter davison than <laughs> <laughs> doctor who than the than the shots from deconstruction that's for sure yeah, he, he thought it was he thought it had been reshot that was that was his guess the other thing uh, with the telepath's story is while we have Byron himself and his group of telepaths are off the station, there's no putting the genie back in the bottle. There are a lot of things now that are, we assume, going to affect actions going forward, maybe, depending on where uh, JMS takes us. But things that I noticed especially is I think Lockley is, uh, you know, very clearly now much more informed about uh, Psychops and Psychor mm-hmm. and Bester's role in particular when you compare the way she is acting to him now with the first time he shows up and she's in charge and they're having tea together. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that was a really good moment with her. I think it it, it, it helped to uh, to solidify her character as well when you get that, that scene between the two of them where Lockley is, is recognizing that Bester, she's like, you know, you enjoy this, the drama, the chase. Mm-hmm. You know, she's she's got him pegged and that's absolutely true. So we get to see her being an insightful character at the same time as she is recognizing just just what kind of a character Bester actually is. So, yeah, I, I appreciated seeing her her eyes opened to that after she was the one that called him in. Mm-hmm. 
And we've already talked about, you know, Lita stepping in as um, a new leader for this group, getting them to safety. But there's also the fact that the cat is out of the bag as far as uh, how telepaths came into existence. We're going to have to wait and see whether this spreads among telepaths, whether this becomes a sticking point or a negotiating point. Does it, you know, affect other races? Uh, Is it, you know, other races that seem to have found a balance with how to manage their telepaths, as far as we can tell, although... Our only detailed information comes from the Centauri and the Mimbari. We we don't yeah, really. I, yeah, I didn't like uh, Bester's um, his explanation of how all the other races have had to learn how to control their telepaths somehow. He's like, you know, whether <laughs> yeah. it's religion or drugs or blah blah blah. I I kind of took a little bit. I got a little bit prickly with his mm-hmm. his claim at the end there, where he said, you know, you may not like us, but we're we we may be you know not pretty, but we're a lot better than the alternatives. I'm like, oh, says yeah. you. I think yeah. perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps That's a the really self-serving perspective there, yeah. No, Which, I mean, perfectly in character for Bester. No, I have yes. no problem with the line. Mm-hmm. I just was looking at him like, what, dude? If we haven't gotten it by now, then like this episode makes it clear that Bester and the Psychor are a uh, are a, an organization that is designed by society, human society, to keep telepaths under control. And Bester, for all of his self-delusion that he is an important person in terms of like telepaths and he cares about telepaths the fact is he is the person in charge of keeping the telepaths down like that Mm -hmm. is his job is he he is a mechanism of social control used by earth gov to uh keep all telepaths either in employed by earth gov or taking the sleepers like susan's mom right that like mm-hmm. he's he is he is uh, the biggest sellout of all telepaths ever and that's the problem with byron and his people and now lita and and the, the whole movement of remembering byron is it's a huge threat to bester and the psychor because they're saying no we are not going to let mundanes control us anymore and like it or not bester you are the tool the mundanes use to control us it's 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 rich but i do like that he is so self-deluded that he he really believes like oh every race does this and we're just you know we have to be here because it's not true it's absolutely not true (laughs) yeah if you look back at what he did to garibaldi and what he did with the information they got from garibaldi you know he killed one of president clark's buddies to get the telepath virus out of his hands, you know, it seems pretty clear to me that Bester has been playing a long game and is either leading a faction within Psychor or, you know, Psychor itself is ultimately going to want to move against uh, the Mundanes. That's something that Clark was afraid of all along mm-hmm. um, that, mm-hmm. that Edgar's told us. So, you're you're exactly right, Jason. Is that in that he is a tool of the man, and he is continuing to act as a tool of the man because he wants to become the man. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that, that may that may be fair. Like in the end, this may be the long game of I'm going to just agree to do everything they want me to do until the point where I can I can overthrow them. But in the meantime, what is I mean, to his credit, he doesn't seem to be part of the faction that was that was super cozy with the shadows, which I, you know, I think mm-hmm. that's good. Mm-hmm. But he is he is still like he can say all he likes, like, oh, no, 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 I've got big plans. But in the meantime, he is subjugating his people. Mm-hmm. And speaking of subjugation, we get, you know, a, a specific and personal instance of this where Garibaldi tries to take uh, advantage of Bester's presence on the station again to get him to confess and record exactly what he did to Garibaldi. I I found this kind of interesting that Garibaldi needs, I mean, and this may be the fact, you know, that Garibaldi has been, you know, a cop, essentially a security, um, you know, for so long, but he needs the hard evidence to prove that he was innocent, that he was used in the civil war to betray Sheridan, but um, that he tries it and he finds that he can't. I love this scene. This yeah. is this is one of my favorite scenes in all of Babylon Five, or at least one of my most memorable. Like the idea, I had forgotten what episode it was in, but this this moment that it is perfectly logical that this is what Garibaldi would do, and yet you get that line, and I like how knowing that it's not going to happen, you can see how Bester <laughs> plays with Garibaldi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I I really do. I, I I probably shouldn't like it as much as I do, but I love that line. Like on a scale of one to ten, how stupid do you think I am? Mm-hmm. Well, yep. It's so great. Yeah, 
It is. It is wonderful. Um, and I think, although this time watching it, and this was not a thing that had occurred to me before, uh, the fact that, you know, usually Garibaldi is is one step ahead. And I love that about him. And I think that that either I can't decide if I'm annoyed by the fact that he wasn't one step ahead here, or if this speaks to the fact that he is so emotionally messed up about what has happened to him, that Mm -hmm. he didn't come in with a recording device in his pocket that was already recording, Mm. um, you know, in addition, like as a a backup to the idea of recording, because he actually does, you know, spill everything. Bester does, and if if Garibaldi had been recording, then then he would have gotten it. However, you could also headcanon that away and say that you know Bester would have totally been scanning him just to make sure everything was still okay, and then he would have seen that it was that he was being recorded, and he wouldn't have spilled everything. But but yeah, I just I had that sort of like back and forth in my head, um, you know, bouncing around like a pinball, being like, why isn't he recording now? Well, maybe he shouldn't be, but uh and, and yeah, and it is it is a great scene because because just watching, you know, Jerry Doyle trying to pull the trigger oh. and not being able to. Mm-hmm. Oof, it was that was rough, man. Well written, well performed. It's 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 solid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And kind of the only way that could happen. Right. Like the given what Garibaldi knows, there's no way that he lets Bester live other than this. But that's, that, of course, that's why. How do you, mm-hmm. how stupid do you think I am? Of course, I've made this <laughs> so that you can't kill me. And how, how horrifying is that, right? Like you think you're free and yet there's a block in place and mm-hmm. Garibaldi, I mean, he's already really on the edge. And then when you see him in med lab before the, the telepaths rush in and he's talking to Steven, like he's desperate. He is, Mm -hmm. he is absolutely as on the edge as we've ever seen Garibaldi because he wants this thing out of his head. He wants to find Mm -hmm. a way to get this over with. He's, he it's, it's, it's tough. It's a rough scene, but I, I do love it in that both of the characters are really being true to themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very. Yeah. And I think, yeah. And yeah, true to himself. uh, We, JMS plants the line earlier just in case people have forgotten because Garibaldi's issues with alcohol haven't really come up since season yeah. one. And so mm-hmm. JMS, you know, has Sheridan make the statement, reminds us we have this issue where Garibaldi apparently can't trust that Sheridan and the others have forgiven him for what he's done. That he he wants the proof. He wants a full confession from Bester and he doesn't get it and he finds out why he's never going to get it. And then we have that last scene that just had had me shaking a little bit to to remember that, you know, this was yes, this was where he 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 fell down again. And the look on his face when he takes that drink too, just like suddenly like he just he's relaxed. He's relaxed into it. He's made his decision. And wow, that was really Mm -hmm. powerful. Yeah. So when I first saw this and some friends that we were hanging out with at the time were sort of well into their Babylon 5 is dead to me season 5 sucks kind mm-hmm. of uh, kind of reaction to it all you know i remember cringing at the moment when garibaldi opens up the bottle because why why would you do this i don't understand uh jms is do- doing this to garibaldi now garibaldi's because this has only happened once before for garibaldi in the show that we've seen and it was done and resolved in one episode too cleanly in retrospect. But I remember at the time watching it superficially and going, okay, this is the moment. This is the thing that Garibaldi is going to do this stupid thing now. Come on. And I think you misspoke a little bit early on, Shannon, in the rundown. You know, Garibaldi is not a former alcoholic. He's an alcoholic. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is a really traumatic moment. Of course, he would be vulnerable. I'm not comfortable with the with the choice that Garibaldi makes here, but 20 years later, I'm far more understanding of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but for a lot of addicts in recovery, control is a really important thing. And being able to have control over their life and their actions is, you know, that's that's really crucial, a crucial piece of the of the, the recovery. And he has just discovered that he doesn't actually have control over himself at all. His his mind, a part of his mind, his own his own brain and body are not talking to each other in a way that has you know been fundamental to him his entire life. So so that a loss of control at that deep level, yeah, totally totally makes sense to me why he would just you know say f it 
and, mm-hmm. you know, flip a table and drink a bottle. And I think there's also the fact that JMS very carefully, he has Garibaldi make the right decision at first. He goes to Stephen. He goes to Stephen mm-hmm. to say, okay, I'm going, I'm going to find a way to fix this. And of course, then they get interrupted by the telepaths and the hostage situation happens. And, you know, so Garibaldi's train there gets totally derailed and mm-hmm. and leaves him wide open to making this decision. Or think about how he, you talk about control, like he already had the ultimate loss of control, which was being controlled by the Psychor to right. be mm-hmm. paranoid and to turn in Sheridan and all of that. Like he already had that and thought he was past it. So to have this mm-hmm. thrown in his face by Bester and saying, no, actually, I own, I own you, a part of you forever. And there's nothing you can do about it. I've got this is that's just I mean, it's horror. It's 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 absolutely horrible. And so um, I I feel like this is uh, completely justified in terms of story for Garibaldi mm-hmm. to have reached this. His desperation when he's asking Stephen, like you can mm-hmm. see he's about to lose it completely. And uh, only the hostage situation kind of prevents uh, this from happening even sooner because he's yeah I, I mean I, I really I really feel for him that's one of the reasons why this scene is so powerful is that he is um he's at at wit's end he has um he, he yeah. he's already betrayed himself his mind has already betrayed him the fact that he even asks Stephen about it when he does like that's not a normal Garibaldi thing mm-hmm. to come in during the middle of a crisis and ask an unrelated question so right. you can tell just like at first I was like why is he asking now and then I was like oh my god he's asking now because he's freaking out Mm-hmm. And the icing on the cake is that when the telepaths rush MedLab, he's probably beating himself up after the fact because he was distracted and mm-hmm. wasn't as effective in getting the doors closed and getting control mm-hmm. of the situation. So, yeah, you know, exactly. it's it's all in all, it's a really, really bad day for Michael Garibaldi. <laughs> yeah. So we've mentioned uh, directions here and there. We've heard some opinions from Stephen. Any other thoughts any other things you wanted to bring up before we go through our jump gate i had a couple um go for it the in med lab i just it's one of those things where like the art direction of the show where you've got um all the all the monitors are in walls and stuff so they're very futuristic but in med lab uh especially after the the mm. telepaths come in uh garibaldi at, at a couple of points is up against sort of cr- cradling a uh just a giant crt monitor that is like <laughs> he might as well just lift it up and say it's the 90s and it's it's one of those things where you know in our world of flat screens and things like that like it's all kind of hidden a- as if um, you know, by accident or on purpose is making it feel like, okay, it's plausibly futuristic. And then there's just a giant CRT on a desk flipped over in med lab. And I was like, oh man, that's, that's too bad. <laughs> so that was something, I mean, it made me laugh. I was like, okay, well, there you got me. This was made in the nineties. There's nothing we can do about it. And then, um, uh, I wanted to mention there's a there's a a line by Sheridan I think where he says well you know technically Garibaldi is the longest serving member of the staff when they're talking mm-hmm. about hostage mm-hmm. negotiations which I really like because that it stops you and you're like oh my god of all the humans not the ambassadors right. who all made it of all the humans in the gathering only Garibaldi is left I mean Lita yeah. Lita came and left and then came back mm-hmm. uh, so like Garibaldi's it like and I like that they that they mentioned that like he was here before all of us because he was like Jerry Joel <laughs> was there in the in the original pilot and everybody else left now that now that uh, Claudia Christian is gone like they all they all left um, so I liked that wow. call out I thought that was really nice and then my you know we've already gone over the Byron thing a whole bunch of times but I want to mention in that last scene among the things that frustrate me the convenient location of the flammable hazardous uh, mm-hmm. chemical spill <laughs> thing just it, it kills me like this is just a place we walk around it killed byron and and the, wow. and there's also gasoline here because that's fun um also when the when the shooting erupts there's a shot of lockley emptying many charges of her ppg and i had that moment where i was like really lockley are you just taking out byron's telepaths now because that was a an escalation that happened between mm-hmm. bester and the telepaths. And I don't know, like, I just, it gave me pause of like, these, these groups, like you didn't want this to happen, but now that Bester's shooting, you're going to just keep shooting with Bester. Like that, it kind of bugged me 
that she was Mm -hmm. firing and I couldn't see who she was firing at. But as far as I could tell, because I was sitting there thinking, shoot, Bester, that's who you should shoot here. Not Mm -hmm. the telemess. But she's like, all right, well, I guess we're doing this. And she's on that side. And uh, it's too bad. So those are those those are the other things I wanted to mention. Well, at the very least, she's got to protect the president. That's true. So David Eagles has directed better episodes of Babylon 5 before. He has been more of an actor's director than an action director. Um, and he was just the wrong choice for this episode. I yeah. think mm-hmm. that I think that I think that there's enough good in the script that a better director like Mike Vijar could have done it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. A uh, couple other things that Steven said, actually, even before it was over, when we had the uh, the POV shot um, of Lita going through the the ducts to try mm-hmm. to find a way out, he was just like, "Oh, like it, he thought that that part was kind of cool." He's like, "Oh, it's like the Millennium Falcon and the Death Star and Return of the Jedi." It's like, mm-hmm. okay, sure. But then, uh, and uh, when when Byron blows himself and the rest of his telepaths up, he was just like he he got kind of smug and he's just like, "I said Waco." Because that that has been the thing. Like he's he's been comparing Byron to David Koresh, so I was okay. just like, I wasn't I wasn't going to validate that before, but yeah, sure enough, at the end, that's that is that is how it how it went down. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And and after it was done, before I even had a chance to, like the credits were still rolling. Stephen just turns to me and goes, "Byron's dead." I knew there was only one end to that thing, so um, <laughs> clearly it was it was laid out. Um, but, well uh and lead it led to the place that that he expected it to be mm-hmm. and um steven steven really liked the scene with bester at the end where he was uh you know just powerless and confused and bewildered mm-hmm. and like and it, steven steven agrees with you jason he thought it was that was legitimate that that was actually the way the way bester read read the situation or didn't read the situation because he just mm-hmm. doesn't get it um and then you know he th- went on to be like oh so now the telepath war is carrying on elsewhere is that right because they're bombing Psychor places and I was just like I'm just sitting there being quiet of course mm-hmm. um, but his last comment was one that that sort of like it took me back and he was like isn't Garibaldi married like we've we haven't seen Lise this season at all she hasn't been mentioned right. mm-hmm. uh, and yeah and suddenly I was like oh yeah like there's just feel, felt like a really big plot point that has been has been dropped he hasn't said anything about about her or visiting her on Mars or her visiting right. him or anything and the fact that he doesn't bring her up or even think or talk about her now when he's making this big you know decision really to to jump back into the bottle because mm-hmm. that was that was a thing between them before so I mean maybe that's something we're supposed to assume is going on inside his head but we can't know that as viewers so I feel like it would have been nice to to have something about that on the screen because I was like oh Holy crap, you're right. There's a lady in in the picture for him. I had totally forgotten. Yeah, that's a good point. And it sort of counterpoints something that I noticed, which was when Sheridan is sort of going back over and trying to figure out, you know, what the heck could he have done differently and how the heck is he going to fix this now? And he and Lockley, their friendship, their their relationship kind of shines through a bit with their body language and how she's offering suggestions or, you know, trying to be supportive of him. That sort of resonated with me uh, with that particular scene. I also noticed early on in the episode, at one point, you know, Byron says something to Lita to the effect of, you know, well, what's the point of living? Which, you know, sort of plants, you know, the idea that, you know, Byron himself is basically mentally ready to end his own life if that's what it's going to take. Certainly offering yourself up to uh, the Psychops, you might as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I know what I choose. Yeah. Well, then, uh, for those of you who are listening and watching for the very first time, this is going to be your jumping off point uh, before we go into spoiler space. Uh, As always, we will remind you, you can come join the conversations created just for you so you do not have to worry about spoilers on b5audioguide.com. We are also on Twitter and Tumblr. Uh, at B5 Audio Guide, where you can come and talk to us. And of course, we'll take this opportunity to thank Jason for being here. Um, He's going to stick around. But Jason, where can people find you if they are interested in more of your opinions? 
theincomparable.com is a great place to go for podcasts, including mine and those done by other people here, including uh, Chip's got one there and Erica's got one with her <laughs> husband, The Control Group. And mm-hmm. we have lots of other podcasts about uh, TV shows and the like. If uh, you like uh, the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, maybe there's something there for you. So check out theincomparable.com. Okay. Uh, and for next week, our episode will be The Ragged Edge. And until then, those of you who want to stay spoiler-free, we will see you later, and we will head through a jump game. Byron's not dead. No, I'm kidding. He's totally dead. <laughs> he is. He's not coming back. He, he, he is <sighs> dead. He is not coming back, but... It, that this... Byron is Valen. Byron is Valen. <laughs> oh, no. Jeez. Oh. Oh. You take that back, Chip. <laughs> <laughs> But yes. Well, um, you know, Robin Atkin Downs did play a, a Minbari. I'm just saying. That's <laughs> true. But I'm pretty sure he was a Minbari born of Minbari. So. Mm. Okay. Uh, but yes, now the telepath war begins. I think that's uh, the, the reason for uh, overhearing the broadcast uh, as uh, in the last scene with Garibaldi to let the audience know that this is not over. The, the extremely rudimentary baseball scorers and bombings update that <laughs> mm-hmm. Garibaldi tunes in. Yeah. Uh, is that supposed to be baseball? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, the, there's a, the first story is about like the Mars what's it's are going to be in the world series oh. probably. Mm-hmm. And in other new, in other breaking news, other than baseball breaking news, there was a, a terrorist bombing at Psychor and, uh, yeah, that was that. Sh- that was another one of those kind of like the, they don't have enough money to do anything here, so they're just going to mm-hmm. have an off-screen voiceover do this. But but yeah, here here we here we go. Um, the telepath war, the great, never shown, <laughs> only referenced part of Babylon Five continuity. Yep, JMS had some outlines out there for telepath war stories, but but yeah, you get a lot of details filled in around the edges in the ancillary media and then when we come back for crusade the telepath war has been and gone bester's uh, fugitive although that's in an episode that was never that was written but never filmed and our uh, telepath character on the excalibur matheson is he, he's still wearing a psi symbol on his uniform but things are much he's just kind of a member of the crew right yeah. and yeah. this is this is this is what i was getting at in the main part without saying it out loud which is we will see in crusade that best bester is a uh, is completely deluded and wrong because after the telepath war what happens it's not the telepaths taking over. It's not the telepaths being being uh, uh, run out of human space or being exterminated. They're integrated into society where they can live normal lives like other like everyone else. <laughs> and Daniel Day Kim is the example of that in Crusade. Yeah, we have the, yeah. the the psychops are disbanded, and we now have something called the Psionic Monitoring Commission. We have no clue what they do. We have no clue how they support telepaths or support integrating telepaths into society. We just know that they're there and it more or less seems to be working, although we still get, I think in Crusade, we still have a few instances of, you know, people who are still nervous around telepaths or not sure um, and aren't quite on board with this new situation. But yeah, supposedly within the space of, you know, like within five years, I think Crusade is set five years after B5, if I remember correctly. And um, and yeah, somehow or other things have been kind of fixed. Relatively speaking, anyway, yeah. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, Lita continues her work. She um, gets more involved in trying to supply forces to fight and also forces to help continue funneling telepaths to safety. And she and Garibaldi actually wind up sort of crossing paths at one point, um, which I'll get uh, to in a few minutes. And, you know, to finance this thing, she even finally strikes that deal from the gathering and uh, arranges for the Narn to get hold of human DNA of telepaths to start trying to create um, Narn telepaths again. And semi 
canonically in one of those Psychor novels, she is supposedly killed mm-hmm. in the final kind of explosion that blows up the Psychor building and kind of ends the telepath war. But that, I, I think that's mm-hmm. only in a novel. It's actually and she's one it's, of it's actually in a uh, it's actually in a script, an unproduced script from um, in the Crusade script from Crusade. Yeah, that's the, right. that's the very same script that features uh, Bester. That her and she and Lanier were both right. apparently yeah uh, dead in that one, which is I mean that's that's that seems to be where it is going right like that's whether it's it's not not in a filmed episode but that seems to be her her destination and yeah. you know the good news is that um, that the telepaths have a have a better lot as far as we can tell in the Crusade era. Yeah, uh, I was expecting Lita to seem more radicalized at the end of this episode than she was. Uh, I know that it's coming, so I was sort mm-hmm. of expecting it to happen already. Yeah, I, and I think that's part of the thing is, you know, at the moment she seems to simply be stepping up to protect the telepaths. But during the second half of season five, she does get more radicalized and she goes farther um, You know, to the I think point. She's, I think she's already planning that. I was mm-hmm. just expecting to see that. Okay. Yeah, but um, what she winds up doing is at one point she uh, gets arrested and uh, Garibaldi goes to see her about, you know, can you fix my can you fix my brain? You know, you're the most powerful telepath in existence. And we we learn that, you know, yes, the Vorlons created her to be a doomsday device, essentially, uh, to um, if necessary. And um, and they strike a bargain where Garibaldi helps assemble support for the refugee telepaths. Uh, against Psychor, and you know she in turn agrees to get rid of his neural block. That is resolved again in novels by uh, J. Gregory Keyes. There's a Psychor trilogy, which is kind of odd because it's it's kind of disconnected. There's a book called Dark Genesis: The Birth of the Psychor. There is another book called Deadly Relations, Bester Ascendant. I believe it's got uh, Byron appearing in there one or two places. I don't know. And then finally, the final book, Final Reckoning, The Fate of Bester. And these are all JMS outlines that Keyes put out. So JMS wrote on Usenet once a a hypothetical scene where garibaldi would visit uh bester's grave and drive a stake in the ground <laughs> for it and that's actually that actually made the novel we do get ultimately garibaldi does get satisfaction but we never see it on television uh what we do get instead is uh garibaldi you know losing himself in the bottle again for uh this time several episodes not just uh the one and done like survivors was where we didn't really see any repercussions after the fact. Here, he falls, um, he loses um, his position with Sheridan, uh, winds up going back to Mars, uh, no, and you know, not quite, not quite going back to Mars yet. But mm-hmm. uh, least least does show up, yeah. and she does help him uh, crawl out of the bottle, uh, mm-hmm. which uh, I'll be watching that kind of carefully because that'll that may be some in interesting gender politics uh now that we look at it 20 years later mm-hmm. um but uh yeah uh spot on spot on for steven uh noticing that she's mm. not there I and mean, it's almost like an afterthought that they bring her back to essentially solve the alcohol uh problem for now yeah. and and they and the marriage actually happens during season five because for uh, first first she has to get shot and and wounded very badly and then garibaldi's <laughs> like okay d- damn it i'm not wasting any more time <laughs> So our romance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. You know, he, he screws up pretty badly. He is sleeping on the job when a critical message comes through and people are calling for help. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's I've perhaps Erica been making too much of the, the, the whole Sheridan's not very good at his new job kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But we're going to watch several episodes where Garibaldi because of his alcoholism, becomes less and less competent. And that is going to be kind of painful to watch. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, honestly, like this, most of the uh, like the last two or three episodes of, you know, in the spoiler space for season five, I feel like somebody who's never watched the show who's listening in and I'm going, oh, my God, that happens. Oh, my yeah. God. He's going to what? She. Huh? Yes. I, I remember almost none of this stuff. So mm-hmm. like, I yes, I've seen it before. I've seen it multiple times, but it just kind of goes to show how sort of tuned out I have been 
on all of those rewatches by the time season five came along. Um, I mean, I think the first time I delayed watching season five quite a bit for for life reasons. And then I finally got around to watching it and felt a little bit let down. And then uh, and then on all the rewatches, it was always like I would burn my way through the first four seasons and be really excited. And then not only was season five not my favorite thing, but it was the last bit after four seasons worth of watching, you know, like lots and lots of Babylon 5. So I was just I was kind of just getting through it just to get through it. So it's really fun to watch it purposefully and 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 actually take it in and and absorb what's happening in season five, because I don't think I ever really truly did that before. Yeah. And of course, now that the bigger arc of the telepath, at least the front lines of the telepath war are over. For Babylon 5, um, as you know, Chip mentioned, things are going to get interesting with the Interstellar Alliance. Um, we have had the beginnings of these issues with the different uh, members of the Alliance being attacked on their shipping lanes. We now know that for some reason the Centauri are doing it, and we you know, are about to sort of shift focus towards you know, those issues and what's going to happen with Centauri Prime. There's, of course, other issues that are going to develop as uh, Lanier returns and uh, has not succeeded in getting over his um his attachment to Delenn. Mm. Okay, is, that part I remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's going to cause um quite a few problems as well. So yeah, we're not done. <laughs> not by any means. Any other things that anybody can think of as far as spoiler space going forward? No, this is this is thinking about the telepath war is like that's actually the one thing that sticks with me with Crusade. So I'll just say it again that that I'm glad Crusade exists because I kind of I really like how the telepaths are integrated there, and I think there was I don't know whether it was luck or choice, but I think probably the telepath war was the right thing for JMS to skip over. Like mm-hmm. I think he felt it needed to happen, but that he that we didn't need to see it, mm-hmm. and we need, we see the underpinnings here, and then it's resolved, and I'm okay with that because you know it's it's another sort of civil war and. It's not really necessary. And I, you know, I think this is telling the important part of the story in some ways, which is laying out the sort of like violence, nonviolence and the, the means of control through the psychor. And it's like, that's, that's enough. I, I think that's enough. As always, we thank everyone for listening and continuing as we close in towards the end of the rewatch. Again, your next episode is The Ragged Edge. Until next time, this is Shannon in Durham. Chip in Durham. And Erica in Edmonton. We thank our special guest, Jason Snell, one more time. And you have been listening to the audio guide to Babylon 5. Bye, Byron. Hey.